Hey, welcome to the Village Podcast Show. My name is Josh Patterson, joined by Matt Chandler. Matthew, how are you? I'm well. It's good to be here. How about you? I'm doing great. Doing great. We are uh, launching something new today with the Village Podcast Show. The hope with this is just to give us a forum and a venue really to talk about a couple of different things on a regular basis. One being just life at the village, what's going on here at the church, uh, just house cleaning items, topics to address, uh, conversations that we feel like we can have in a little bit uh, more of a less formal particular setting, and then really look and dive into issues of culture and theology, see what's going on on the landscape around us and how theology comes to bear on that, and really finishing that with ministry and leadership. And so that's that's what we're doing with the show. I'm glad to do this with you, as always. Any thoughts on that, brother? No, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I, I plan on making fun of you often and um and exposing it, faulty reasoning that you tend so to operate at this point, in. It'll just and be so, recorded. <laughs> that, yeah, <laughs> it'll, it'll just be basically another day at the office. So. That'll be fine. It'll be clear. It'll be real clear as we get into it. So we do have a special guest, um, the great Jen Wilkin. Uh, Indeed, who, woman of the word, woman desiring of the word. God. Here we go. The Gospel Coalition. But that's later. That's not for now. That's later. That'll yeah. be later. Well, th- that's the thing. Even talking about our greatness now, there's there's plenty more to say in the next segment. Yeah, I can feel the greatness <laughs> even now. Amen. Of how great this is. Yeah, I feel something. I'm not sure yeah. what that is. Maybe anger. It's the glare that we're both getting from her right now. Uh, but and, that, and yet I'm, I'm I'm not operating in any fear. I like my chances. Really if this goes wait. down, I like my chances. Hey, but first we're going to talk about life at the village. And so we'll jump into that uh, literally right now. So we are currently... Uh, in a fall series called A Beautiful Design. Really excited about this series. Got a, really a ton of good feedback, and it's extremely relevant. Matt, just chat with us briefly about really the genesis of this, why you started yeah. where you started, and how it all... Well, there there were several conversations kind of going on um, in in my home and, and, and with friends uh, about the practice of complementarianism, and, and so not necessarily the theological underpinnings of, of complementarianism. You know, we landed there years ago right. and, and believe that's good, right, and biblical, and, and, and where that's practice, humanity flourishes. And so th- there wasn't a theological rethinking in any way, but rather um, how is complementarity practiced in, in a way that God's most glorified and, and the church sees modeled complementarianism. And, and I think what had happened is the idea of headship or the idea of male leadership had somehow trumped complementarianism as what needed to be modeled. Right. And, and so in a day and an age where you, you, do, you do have a serious masculinity issue, you have where are the men, where are they leading? And so in addressing that and in leaning into that, which is a good right thing, uh, I think the where the ball got dropped is, is that really what we're modeling is not necessarily headship, but what we're modeling is the, the complementarian nature of the relationship between the man and the woman and how when that's functioning like it should, humanity flourishes, the home flourishes, the church flourishes. And so that that's where my head was. And right. I was having conversations with my wife and I was having conversation uh, with other friends and, and other um, what I consider to be really sound, thoughtful, theological minds uh, about the practice. That. Well, it, I, I don't think I'd talk to you until I'd built out the outline, <laughs> but uh, the, in the yeah, end, and you've, you've provided some, some good feedback once right? the sermon was written. And I said, hey, how can I strengthen this? And you, 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 like, you added a transition sentence or something like that. And then a is couple inappropriate 
um, inappropriate illustrations. That All the inappropriate illustrations are yours. That's true. That I, true. I would never even let, and anyone who knows me would know that would be That's true. true. But so let if, me ask you this. If someone knew what was in my head that I was like, I can say that, then How I think there would be a lot more. How much growth there is. Yes. Oh my gosh. The the There's a reason why nothing before 06 is online. So <laughs> You're going to bring that up? Well, I just, another yeah. email about that. Um, let me ask you this. So why, why start in Genesis 1-1? Well, I, I think you can't really get to manhood and womanhood until you lay down and, and lay down really sound foundations, N- namely that there is a creator God that has designed all things. So you had to lay that down. And so that was week one uh, in the beginning, God. Right. And, and so that, you know, I, I think I, I even said this in the sermon that, um, that 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 is the most pregnant sentence ever written, or, or at, at least that's what's been said about it. Right. Um, and, and so just wanted to unpack, there is a good design and there is a creator that created that design. And, and so we, we should probably listen to the one that's created all things and how they work. And then I think the second foundation that had to be laid before we could get into any of the rest of this is, um, the really a sound theology of the Imago Dei. Right what it means to be made in the image of God. Because that precedes. Well, it absolutely does. And, and if, you, if you don't lay a really sound, solid creator God designs, mankind's been made in the image of God, then, then everyone has a tendency to go, yeah, 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 but, um, and, and then blow past really dignity, value, worth, and, and into here's what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do, and, and here's how you should man up and how you shouldn't. But I wanted to root it deeply in, no, 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 God can be trusted in his design right. and, and that we need to see our, um, we need to see women as sisters and women need to see men as brothers um, uh, in the Lord. And, and if we can do that, then the roles, it, it'll make sense. It'll click if you understand design and the image of God. Then when we get into what God expects of the man, then it makes sense. And what God wants from the woman, it makes sense in a way that it doesn't make sense if you haven't laid that groundwork. If God isn't the great architect, and if there is a difference in dignity, value, and importance, it, it, if those things aren't solid, then, man, wherever you go from there is going to get really goofy. And so that's why I thought, like, we had to start there, and then we can move into Yeah, so when we, when we, you and I were discussing, when you brought me in at the very tail end, as you mentioned earlier, um, but thinking about all the implications of Imago Day, and this was in the message, it was in the sermon, where it was everything from pornography to um, uh, abuse to the, when the Imago Day gets distorted, the implications of that. And I, I'm not sure that we always realize how significant Imago Day really is. So just chat with me about that. Because yeah. well, there, was, there was more on the cutting room floor that you oh, couldn't put I in. I mean, the, all day long you could talk. In, in anywhere humanity has gone bad, right? In, anywhere it's gone bad, it, it's gone bad because there's been a failure to acknowledge or understand the implications of what it means to be made in the image of God. Um, and so where people are viewed as consumables, um, where they are um, enslaved, where they are aborted, where they are um, robbed of their dignity in any capacity. That's an Imago Day issue. Every time. A, 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 even, I can't, I've been trying, I've been racking my brain. Now I've stopped now because I've, I've preached past it, we're in some yeah. other, but I was trying to get, I was trying to in my mind identify an area of injustice that wasn't tied to the Imago Dei, and I couldn't do it. Right. I, I literally couldn't do it. And, and even when you start to look at things like animal cruelty and things like that, that's still an Imago Dei issue in that the man was created in the image of God to, to, right, steward, to steward. To oversee, and, to care And so for. even that yeah. is an Imago Dei issue. So the intrinsic 
value of every human being has not given humanity the right to be cruel, but rather created in the image of God to steward, to exercise dominion so that things might flourish and be cared for. And and so, yeah, image of God really can tie into anything. In fact, I'll probably try to, moving forward, use that as the foundation of the sermons I give every year on abortion and racial reconciliation and just keep going back to the Imago Day, so that we might specifically here at the village and then anyone who listens outside the walls of the village um, begin to have in our vernacular and begin to have in, in the way we think, oh, yeah, the Imago Day, oh, yeah, the image of God, that's right, the right. image of God, the image right. of God, um, so, so that when faced with the type of crises that come up in life, um, we're quick to think that way. So thinking about moving from that and, and moving into more of the, the theological foundations and the and really the practical implementation, implications of, of uh, complementarianism, and we've wrangled with this as a church, that it's, it's so much easier to stay in the ivory tower of theology around this particular um, theological issue of complementarianism. But it really... When, it, when it's in the living room, when it's in the church, when it's on, uh, in the congregation, in the membership, in, in life, that's where it gets to be nuanced. That's where it gets to be um, a little bit more delicate. And I think we're walking in greater humility around sure. this theological premise um, than maybe, the, the, maybe we went into it thinking yeah. about that. And so talk about just briefly just some of the, some of the delicacies, some of the things that that we're trying to tease out and to be faithful with here and, and how your hopes for the series as it moves on. Yeah. I, when all said and done, I, you're right in saying that, that pulling this out of, uh, oh yeah, theologically, this is what we believe right. getting into the ground, re- really on the ground and, and how this functions. Uh, I think even now we're, we're kind of wrestling through, okay, what about this? And what about this? And, I think the the reason why it can get difficult is it, it's easy in some ways to say if the Bible permits it, then we permit it, and if the Bible forbids it, we forbid it. Um, but but in a in in something like this, where there's so many little nuances, where you're you're actually kind of teasing apart the heart of the Word and the heart of God um, towards men and women. My, my hope when all is said and done in this series is we have a clear understanding of what God has called men to be, namely that men are to be concerned with the flourishing of women, their wives and daughters, and anyone who is a woman based in the image of God, and that um, our women feel loved and valued and encouraged in the Lord to exercise their gifts um, and to flourish in the church. And, And if when all said and done, that's occurred then we have not wasted our time here. Yeah, amen. And so now we're going to kind of shift that a little bit and talk about culture and theology, which is going to be another Imago Day issue. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Okay, now we're going to move into a piece where we're talking about culture and theology. And we talked about this uh, just earlier in the show about the Imago Day and a real serious and sobering Imago Day issue is one of domestic violence and domestic abuse. We're going to talk about that, flesh that out a little bit. Uh, We talked about a special guest and do want to welcome the great Jen Wilkin uh, here with us. Jen, Jen. we're glad you're here. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. Jen is the managing editor of the blog here at the Village Church, the Village Church blog, and author of Women of the Word, which is a fantastic book and a tremendous resource. It's the number one bestseller, actually. Holla. (laughs) Welcome, Jen. Well, thanks for letting me come. Yeah. Well, we do have a weighty topic. I did introduce it just briefly, but Matt, flesh out a little bit how domestic abuse is 
is an Imago Day issue. Well, again, anytime, anytime you're viewing, whether it be your spouse or your child in, in a way that's inconsistent with the dignity given to them in, in regards to possessing the Imago Day, then, then again, you're outside the bounds of what we've called the beautiful design in yeah. the series. And so uh, a man who would get aggressive towards his wife or right. even a wife that would get aggressive towards her husband um, is in many ways outside the boundaries of, of what it means to live rightly and richly in God's creative order. Right. Yeah, and, and just to set this up, and I think this is where the gravity of the issue really really begins to take hold, hopefully, of our hearts, is that it became an issue on a national scale because it became an NFL issue. And it became an NFL issue and then it became a, a hot topic. But the statistics are staggering yeah. and mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. That Just every nine seconds in the United States, a woman is assaulted or beaten. Every day in the U.S., more than three women are murdered by their husband or boyfriend. Domestic violence is the leading cause of injury to women more than car accidents, magazine or magazines, muggings, rapes combined. And so thinking about the gravity of that issue, how does the church step into that space? What does the church need to do in that space? How do we, how do we react to this? How do we process this? What do we, Jenna, love your thoughts on this. Well, I thought it was interesting that it was something linked to the NFL that kind of brought the discussion to a head. And I think it reveals something that's true of the issue that has maybe been under addressed in past years. And that's that it's not enough for women to be made aware of domestic violence issues and to try to protect themselves. It has to be an issue that men care about. And so when the NFL is now in in focus, it means that men are listening. And I I do think that when that video hit the Internet, um, it was shocking. It was shocking to me, and I felt like I knew the story. But I think for a lot of us, we just we we don't realize just the the horror of of what really happens when a stronger person overpowers a weaker person and for so long we've tried to fix the problem by telling women you need to protect yourself in this way or that way or uh and you know take steps to keep yourself safe uh don't leave yourself in a vulnerable position but uh, at the end of the day this is an issue that men have to care about uh because you know, any any sin against another person, just like Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, it, it starts with anger degrading into contempt. Yeah. And so until we start addressing anger in the hearts of people who hold power right. and asking them to, to view anger as the first step towards viewing a person in contempt and then uh, committing injury against them, we, we haven't really begun to address fixing the problem. So thinking about the problem, it, I think it would be easy and for the church to pretend that this is an issue outside sure. the walls right. of the church, outside of the people of the church. But if we're honest, we have any aspect of self-awareness that we know this is an issue within and among our people. Mm-hmm. This is an issue that is, is taking place among the membership of congregations all over the United States. And so, Matt, how do we need to address this uh, well, from, like, pastorally? I, I think there's there's going to be layers like there yeah. is with really anything else. And I, I was thinking this past, uh, I got Bo Hughes' sermon from right. this past weekend uh, sent to me on Saturday night, listened to it Sunday afternoon. And, and he, at one point, stepped away from the pulpit to address this specific issue. To come in front um, of yes, the congregation even and, more. Yeah. And stepped and walked in front and just said, if you are doing this, let me say a couple of things to you. And it was measured and weighty and thick and biblical and brilliant. Mm-hmm. And and I thought to myself when he did it, I, I don't know that I'd ever heard someone in a pulpit 
say that explicitly. Uh, I think they've kind of addressed issues, you know, of anger and these things, but but never have I heard anybody. I don't even know. I, I don't think I ever have. Yeah. Literally step in front of the congregation, in, in our case, step in front of close to 14,000 people and say, if you are doing this. If you're an abuser. God sees you. God sees. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, 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 and God will respond to that. And there's grace, but but know this. And and so I think at, at a certain level, um, that, that, that air war idea of making sure that from our pulpits, um, we, we lay it out there as an issue that's an Imago Dei issue. So, so yes, the heart of the matter in, in anger, but, but if you're teaching on anger to make sure you're using that as one of the illustrations, like an right. on-the-ground right. illustration mm-hmm. uh, of how anger plays itself out, and not be naive enough to think that it's not happening in your church, even if your church is 150 people. Absolutely. I mean, you just read the statistics. Yeah. Your church is 150. Right. you got a couple of cases. You do. Right. Um, you do. And, and so to use that as the illustration in, in, instead of some illustration that probably won't land a, as close to the numbers as this does. Yeah. And then I think, man, we need to desperately and deeply train uh, our pastors on how to handle these situations. And, and I think there's... And, and I think we've even been guilty of it here before. I think we've tightened that up now. But um, where... You know, you know, you're trying to navigate a, a situation like this without telling the woman to get out of there. Right. Get get out of there right. while we figure mm-hmm. this out. Right. And and not okay. Why don't you two come in next week and then let's sit down and let's talk about what happened and let's and and I think the play has to be more aggressive like than that. I think the play has to be to tell the woman to get out, and and we'll help you find a place to stay or we'll and and then next week the two of you come in together. Yeah. Um. And and we're you. you you need to get the officials involved. I think you, you get the officials involved. I, I think the police are given by God for common grace right. to hold back what's dark. And there are certain places where the church shouldn't be trying to be the, the police. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the police should be the police. Right. And and so, again, I'm and, and maybe we can disagree here. I'm, I'm no, fine no, with I don't that, I don't want to disagree. I just want to 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 flesh it out even a little bit more. Yeah. Both stepped out, addressed the congregation and addressed the abuser but he also addressed the abused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so for the abuser, there is gospel confrontation yeah. that is strong and is, it, it's not moving. Yeah. We, are, we are opposed to this because the God of the universe is opposed to this. Yeah. But there was also the gentle call to the women. Right. And, 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 the gospel and care. Of the gospel care, of mm-hmm. the comfort. And, and I should say this, um, it's not only women. Yeah. Who are abused? Right. Uh, that there are men who are abused. The, st- the stats lean heavily in favor sure. of women, sure. but mm-hmm. I just do want to recognize that the audience is actually bigger than that. But thinking, Jen, about the the call to women to courageously step forward. Right. And so, what are the lies that they're believing? What's the trap that oftentimes they find themselves in that they just don't feel like they can? Well, I think that women who get into abusive relationships do so usually because they have a long history of Mm -hmm. abuse. They don't have any other expectation from a man than that he will abuse them, that he cannot be trusted to keep them safe. And so when you say from the pulpit, this is a place where we will help you to be kept safe, she she needs as few barriers to coming forward as possible. And so if she walks into a room where she needs to share her story with three men, yeah. Right. That's an extremely intimidating situation for her because she historically cannot trust men. Yeah. And so I would say for just for churches in general, it's really good to have women as part of that process. That's great. So That's that great she insight. can feel comfortable that she will be heard. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and can have a trust level there. And then, you know, like what Matt was saying, we have been slow. And by we, I mean churches in general. There was an article in the Dallas Morning News on the front page yeah. last Sunday about yeah. this. Churches have been slow to talk about it, and they've been slow to make the woman's safety the first priority. Right. And so she comes in expecting that we will not believe her. Right. And sometimes in an overzealous desire to bring her to the gospel, we lead out with, what's your sin in this? And when we say that, we confirm her worst fear yeah. that she is not believed or yeah. believable. So I think there's a, a way that we need to talk about how do we counsel women in these settings. And I think a big part of it, too, is for us to recognize when it's bigger than what we can handle. Is for our sure. staff really trained to sure. deal with this level of abuse or this level of danger, knowing when to go for the handoff and when to say this is something that can be handled from a pastoral perspective? You know, I, I listened to a friend talk about a separate issue this past week, and he was saying it when you're in the fog of war, you're almost too late. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you're going to miss steps. You're going to miss opportunities. So the best thing for churches and church leaders to do is to get in front of the issue, to get those partnerships in place before. So the counseling centers, uh, the the women in the congregation who are equipped and able to help steward and counsel and care for these women, that that, that's better found and planned and prepared for in advance rather than in response to. So um, let me say this, but just before I quickly transition, I heard Dr. Randy Stinson say this, that, that regarding abuse, it's, there is the physical act, but there's also a biblical prohibition against the man, even using his size to intimidate. And that, that, that in itself is abusive. Just the showing of strength uh, is a way to abuse. And I just think that that's another issue, just another nuance to this that needs to be brought up and brought to the light, both to confront the abuser and to call those who are abused to courageous confession. Powerlessness looks many ways. And I think that when, uh, because men do have sheer size and strength on women, generally speaking, it can be a dim memory for them by the Mm. time they reach adulthood. I was in a conversation about this recently, and I I said, you know, also, I come from a family where the men have always been trustworthy, who they've always been affirming. And so when I was trying to wrap my own head around what is it, what is it like to be a woman who's trapped in a cycle of abuse, um, I was thinking about how as a child times that I felt powerless. And I think that's the closest some of us can come to understanding how this woman feels completely like there, there are no options that the person who is in control of her has complete control of her. And it it is, it's up to the church to, to find ways to uh, reassure her that there is help available. Well, I'm grateful that we're talking about this and and I'm grateful that we're learning lessons along the way and receiving and and, and Matt, even what you said about using illustrations more, that this is this becomes more a part of the application and that we're setting up those structures. And so, uh, Jen, thanks so much for coming and joining us. It's always a joy to be with you and to chat with you. And so I look forward to, to more of those as we transition into a discussion about ministry and leadership. We're really looking forward to talking about yeah. our vision for campus transitions. And I'm looking forward to this part of the show. We just came out of what was obviously a heavy topic and moving now into a topic that um, is really life-giving and really exciting the life of our church in particular. And and as we're talking about really multiplication and multiplication at the macro level, at the highest level here at the church and by planting other churches, and we're doing that 
through our multi-site strategy. Sure. So the multi-site has now become a long-term church planning strategy. And so I want to just invite you into this conversation. Let's talk about this. It is a bit of a unique yeah. strategy, um, but it, it, it's one that was birthed out of a burden uh, in our collective hearts over the years in this yeah. process. And so give us a little bit of history on that, and we'll just kind of go back and forth here. Well, I think we've always been, I don't think, I know we've always been a bit of a reluctant multi-site church. Yeah. And that really that took place and was birthed out of some prayer and fasting and the Lord just kind of doing some things that we weren't expecting and didn't see coming. And Yeah. So um, just, just for some perspective, and you've said this before, we stumbled into it. Yeah. So we're praying and what was it, six weeks later, yeah. we're multi-site. So yeah. we didn't have a strategy. We didn't have nope. a philosophy. We didn't have a plan. And, we in fact, I would say I would even go the opposite way and yeah. say in some ways we were against Yeah, we had uh, a bunch of questions about it for yeah. sure. And so, yeah, so then it it gave way. And, and man, I, my, I think my greatest concern on multi-site was are we just creating seats um, for people to come sit and kind of be – consumers of preaching and song and right. uh, or can we really missionally engage and make disciples can we fulfill uh, the command of, of God given to us in in uh, the going and making disciples of, of all nations right. and uh, when we begin to see people come to know Christ and people uh, discipled it, it helps some but I, I always had just a bit of and I, I think this is probably true again collectively uh, just a bit of okay yes this is working so pragmatically if we want to measure it it's I mean we've got a lot of people and uh, people are come, becoming Christians and they're growing in right. their faith and 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 all some of the arguments of multi-site just simply they've been unfounded I think at least how we're doing it and that they're a lot of reps for men to to grow in their preaching and to learn how to lead and and then I think personally speaking I I, I think the route we're now going it, it's it's how I'd rather spend my life I'd rather leverage the gifts God's given me um, to plant a ton of churches right. rather than to leverage my gifts to make one giant church yeah so let me tease that out a little bit just again for perspective the first multi-site campus we had was Denton in 2007, then Dallas in 2009, 2013 in Fort Worth, 2014 in Plano. So at this point, we have five campuses that are all vibrant campuses, healthy leadership, and we're in this place where where we have a healthy multi-site approach, a healthy multi-site strategy, and pragmatically, it's working. Yeah. It, and we're excited about that. And I think it's important to say because of where we're going with multi-site to say we're not opposed to multi-site. We actually see it as a fantastic opportunity to yeah. leverage multi-site to, to serve as a kind of an incubation period to launch a campus and really let that campus build its infrastructure and give it an incubation period to grow and strengthen and then transition it off. And yeah. so you said um, – yeah, I, I had some of these reservations. I had some of these these questions about it. We move into the multi-site approach. Denton comes along, and and now you've got this platform. You've got a gift, and and you've and and I love how you've said you've wanted to leverage that yeah. gift. So when when you say that, talk really flesh that out. Well, I I think what became I'm saying I think too much. What became clear to me. Yeah. Uh, early on is that for whatever reason, um, when, when I open up the Bible and teach, things numerically grow. For sure. Uh, there's yeah. never been any place I've been in any, like my fourth grade Sunday school class grew uh, right after my conversion, right after I started teaching. And so there's never been, there's never been a, a place that God's called me to teach that 
that he didn't numerically grow that. And so that, that's kind of always followed me around. I, I think I've probably always had some discomfort with it. Um, a, a very big part of my heart, I don't want to say my whole heart, because I think there, there are definitely parts of my heart that need to continually be laid before the Lord and, and repented of. But I, I want Jesus to be made much of and loved and exalted and, and just feel like the more that I'm kind of made the point or the more that I'm celebrated, the more I just get anxious and yeah. nervous. And so uh, I, I've, I've often just been anxious about that. But there, there was a turn to be able to see that gift as an opportunity to leverage it for things that will live long, long after I'm right. gone. And, and to use the gift of gathering um, as a strategy to plant healthy, strong, vibrant, missional, Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching, healthy church-functioning right. campus or autonomous churches. To, to me, that just felt like a no-brainer at that point. And yeah. so much of the stress that I felt around being, quote-unquote, Matt Chandler kind of vanished in that moment of going, no, let me be Matt Chandler. Let me be the Matt Chandler God has created. Let me be the Matt Chandler Jesus has called me to be for the glory of God, the building up of the church, and, and let my life be wrung out to that end so that when I die, I can go into the ground with hundreds, if not thousands, of, of churches that have been planted that are reaching people, making disciples in their context across the metroplex and to the ends of the earth. Because uh, although this is one one way we're planting churches, you know, we want to continue to plant churches like we have historically. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so utilizing the village church, utilizing your gifts, your gathering gift, and leveraging that for the sake of multiplication. So I love that. But so just to be clear, what it is that we're doing with this strategy is that campuses that are a part of the village church right now, we're actually waning them off to become local churches where they are no longer a part of the village church. They're a separate, autonomous, local church with their own uh, local eldership and all of that. And so the factors that we're looking for here as we as we move down this this path is we're looking for the man, the membership, and the leadership. Yeah. And for those three to be in sync. So you have to have somebody who can lead this. You have to have somebody who can, uh, or a team of people who can lead this. And you've got to have the membership who have bought in to the identity of that campus and want to move forward with this vision. And you've got to have a leadership structure that can support it. Yeah. And so as we looked across the landscape of our five campuses, Denton was in a place where where it was there. clear. Yeah. So it's you're close with Bo. Yeah. You guys meet uh, every week formally and then informally, really several times a month. So talk about. Well, I wasn't the only one who saw it. Yeah. But but Bo just has a pronounced gift. He and, does, and it's in it's in multiple areas. It's not just in one. And and it would be interesting to see if we would be as confident if he was just a good teacher or if he was just a good right. leader. Um, but the reality is he's just a ferociously godly man, able to teach. In fact, if, if you haven't, if you're listening to this and you didn't listen to his sermon uh, on the hurdles of man, you, you've missed out. It was one of the better sermons I think I've heard in a long, long time. It's just spectacular. And, and he's been able to, at that campus, um, lead and love and shepherd in a way that they love him and they love him and they love Jesus um, in him in, in a way that kind of transcends their love of how I've preached historically. And right. so I, I think I began to see some things early on when I would go up and preach in Denton. And then after I was done, 
preaching in Denton, I would, uh, I'd have to find somebody to talk to. Everybody was talking to Bo or some of their staff or the, the kind of cult of personality that gets so kind of drummed up as the reason multi-site exists. It just wasn't there at the Denton campus. They, they were, I mean, they felt that they were in their own context. They've got their shepherds. Bo's an excellent teacher, was teaching 12, 13, 14 times a year up there and healthy staff. And it, it, it was a no brainer watching him lead and, and un- what I love about the story is, unbeknownst to me, you're having conversations with Bo. Right. Harden's circling around. Steve Harden, another one of our campus pastors, circling around having these conversations with Bo. That everyone was seeing in Bo this pronounced gift of leadership that that he was kind of wrestling with whether yeah. or not it was there. And so moving, as we as we look at, at what's going on there in Denton and seeing this as an opportunity to leverage and to transition them off, it, it really became not something that we just wanted to do in Denton, but something that we wanted to do with the campuses when it became right and when it seemed right to the Holy Spirit and us, borrowing that, that phrase uh, from the book of Acts and thinking through. And the Lord really is stirring something here. Yeah. Because in Denton, the reality of any multi-site church is you're going to have some, some ceilings in yeah. that church. There are just some complexities and realities of being a part of a multi-site church that are just a part of it. You can't get out from under them. When a local church that is no longer a part of the greater whole, Bo and that elder team and the deacons on that campus will now have more contextual freedoms, more pastoral freedoms to really serve the people of the congregation and the community in a way that they they just can't now. And so there's there's a leadership ceiling even that we're removing yeah. to watch them flourish and grow. And so, you know, we've nicknamed him Roll Off Bo Roll at, po- at this point and just getting to watch him even flourish now. And so we're looking yeah. forward uh, to August of 2015. Hey, it, and it might be good. I think we've got an, enough time to do it. Maybe not. It, it might be good to kind of talk about how we've structured multi-site so that Bo has been an elder. He's sat and he's helped shape. And, and so why don't you talk some about that? Because I, I wouldn't want someone to listen to the podcast, go, oh, yeah, let's do this, and, and take a guy that's been yeah, emceeing for sure. For sure. Yeah, there's, there's a vast difference between a campus MC or a campus facilitator or a campus host uh, versus a pastor who is overseeing that campus. And Bo has been a campus pastor of that ilk. Uh, So he has served on the executive team. All of our campus pastors serve on the executive team at the church. They're all a part of the central elder boards. They're a part of the directional movement of the church. And so they uh, it was just a choice that we made. Other churches have gone a different route with their campus pastor and how they want to use that role. Uh, but we have used it more as those guys, in a sense, are the, our lead pastors over that particular campus. Yeah. And and um, that has been the standard of leadership that we have desired. Again, it's not it's not the only way to do it. It's just the way that we've gone about doing but it here. If, if someone's thinking about campus roll-off, I, it, I would think it's almost imperative to have well, a brother sure. yeah, that's totally. that wired in. Or, and that's or why go really bad. the man, the membership, and the yeah. leadership, if the man can't carry certain leadership capacities and doesn't have certain giftings, then you're setting yourself up for yeah. a disaster. Yeah. yeah. So... Man, it's exciting. We'll be praying towards that end and looking forward to the next conversation with you. Yeah. And, uh, the podcast, podcast show. Here we go. We're doing it.